0: 508 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherad. First up today, might the haze force schools to close? Now, to be clear, um, unhealthy air pollution readings have spread to 16 places in 9 states around Malaysia. Uh, Cheras actually records the highest API, uh, 164, but others are quite close behind. And because of that, there has been some conversation around this. So for example, uh, Datuk Wan Abdul Latif Wan Jaffa, who is the Environment Department's DG, has said that uh, schools and kindergartens will be ordered to close if the API does go past 200. Um Meanwhile, the education minister has said that there are also existing guidelines when it comes to outdoor activities. So when the API goes over 100, that they can't do uh, activities outdoors anymore. So I think all of this just has, I mean, the haze is an ongoing issue, but all of it just has us thinking about how it affects people, particularly those who are most vulnerable.
1: Yeah, I thought you just said stinking, actually, which is actually one of the things stinking. that we, we did talk about yesterday, <laughs> which is that the haze has come, but not necessarily with a, the kind of distinctive smell that we used to associate with it. But yeah, as with regard to schools, Lynn, I think, in fact, this has uh, become almost a standard drill. Uh, you know, for schools to think about how they might deal with this particular kind of disaster. It would be for any other kind of natural disaster, I guess, at this point in time, flooding and such. Uh, I think what does concern some parents uh, and people I've seen just on social media is what does it do to school and studies and the disruption of delivering uh, curriculum, especially when...
0: This is something that could go on for weeks. So in theory, um, the fact that we have the example of the pandemic and school homeschooling, well, not homeschooling, but learning from home uh, because you're unable to go to school. In theory, that we have more infrastructures now to support. <clears throat> see, the haze, the haze. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be blaming everything on the haze too. <laughs> uh, but no, we, we have more infrastructure now theoretically, to support students having to, to stay at home in order to learn. But I think we all recognise um, other learnings from that time as well, which is that some students struggled, um, some schools, some teachers struggled as well, and that it is obviously clearly disruptive for students uh, to have to stay home and therefore for syllabus to have to hang, as it were.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the broader question would be why hasn't there been a solution on a regional level? We know this is a regional problem. It's about the transboundary nature or transnational nature of pollution. Uh, the ASEAN ministers and all the different fora, you know, have been created to discuss this issue. It's not just us choking, it would be a Singapore that's choking because of what's happening in Indonesia. I know the Indonesians have come out to deny that the haze currently being suffered uh, by this, us on Peninsula Malaysia uh, in Peninsula Malaysia is, is actually not from them but I don't know what the, the truth of the matter is at this point in time
0: So we're going to be speaking very shortly um, about haze and Schools with Daniel Russell who's the co-founder and Academy Director of Arus Academy but uh, I'm just curious because we are seeing worsening conditions in some places uh, give us a, a sort of haze report um, how are the conditions where you live what is it like you can call 7733 2900 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio.
2: Building First World Mindsets, BFM 89.9.
0: It is 5.13 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. And we're speaking today about the haze and how it's affecting schools and students and asking you for a haze report. How are the conditions where you live? Bad? Not so you know, are you not affected? Are you one of the lucky ones? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now, though, um, we have Daniel Russell, who is the co-founder and academy director from Arus Academy. Daniel, thanks for speaking with us.
3: Hello, thank you for having me here.
0: So um, we mentioned earlier that unhealthy API readings have spread across nine states. Uh, we wanted to know how things are on the ground for you. How is the haze situation surrounding your school?
3: Right now, um, we are monitoring the situation. Uh, we've took note that, you know, the haze is not getting any better. Uh, and recently, with the ministry uh, making the announcement about the, 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 the readings, right, uh, where you stop outdoor activities at 100 API and then uh, schools were closed down at 200 API. So we're following this quite closely. Uh, currently, the the API readings in around chowkit where we have our school and as well as our center in Penang uh, are still at moderate levels. Um, but we will be taking note of this from day to day.
1: Okay, could you just talk us through a bit more about how uh, your school is making preparations? You said that the the levels that uh, the school is looking at are the 100 and the 200 levels. Uh, What other uh, preparations are you making uh, uh, or putting in place in order to help your students? So we
3: we will take the worst case scenario uh, and assume that things will go bad uh, as a form of uh, precaution. So in our preparation, we would already start to plan uh, announcements uh, and prepare communications to the parents uh, to know that uh, what is going to happen and what, what are things to, as a heads up, like, basically uh, what kind of things will happen with the learning uh, sessions that, that won't happen anymore. Uh, so that's one. The first one is communication. The second one is to also uh, prepare like the uh, activities and the learning content uh, to be friendly to the students, so that they, something that they can occupy their time and make sure that they can do uh, while they are not a- able to come to our center. And also, we will start to take note and and survey among our students who have. Uh, are lacking in, in devices uh, because in our center, we do have like laptops uh, and that is something that we could borrow it out, lend, lend it out to the students so then they could get online and, and do some of our activities because we have already put up most of our activities uh, on, on the internet. Uh, so they, they could just go on and like do some of it and we could track it virtually.
0: And if we look at syllabus more generally, right, in 2019, over 2,600 schools were closed because of severe haze. Uh, That ended up affecting nearly 1.7 million students. If that were to happen again, we were talking earlier about the worst case scenario, how might this impact uh, students' syllabus?
3: Uh, I think it would definitely have an impact. Uh, Nothing can replace physical interaction with the students and teachers. Uh, But I think learning from the pandemic we are a bit more prepared i think you've mentioned this earlier uh, that you know we have lessons that we have learned and and we we have ideas of how to go about it uh, so we will we, we will need to be more prepared in that sense um, but also taking note that um, we have started physical school since last year may and uh, students don't really remember, uh, have very good memory of like, what happened a few years ago. So they may not feel comfortable anymore uh, learning from home. So that's something to take note of, uh, that, that how they set themselves up to learn, how do they create a, a conducive environment at home and things like that. So those things may have reset to zero. So teachers will need to take note of that.
1: I wonder if uh, we could look at the, the teacher side or the school side of that particular thing that you just sort of sketched for us uh, quite brilliantly, which is how easy is it to move from, you know, the current, you know, face-to-face interaction and classes back to online classes? I mean, is it like flipping a switch or is it going, is it rather complicated? I think it needs
3: um, practice to to, to systemize some sort of like procedure, uh, between the students and teachers, um, it's, it's, I guess, one of the ways how you can like make education more resilient, uh, and, and design it to be, um, in, in various formats, in various forms. So students and teachers ought to like have some sort of like understanding on like how learning can take place. And then. Uh, knowing the needs of the class, knowing the needs of the, the, the students of the school. Uh, the, the school can prepare custom-made um, learning experiences for the students in that sense, uh, assuming that there could be another emergency, assuming there could be another disaster, another pandemic, uh, and, and, and learning can be deployed at, as closely as possible to flipping a switch.
1: Yeah, if I could just kind of follow up on that, you know, um, to what extent do we need drills? Like it, should schools be doing uh, or organizing uh, a kind of drill-like situations where we kind of imagine that the school has to shut down for uh, whatever reason, whether it's uh, a disease or it's, it's something like the haze? Would that be feasible? Regular drills? I, um, I, I'm
3: not quite fond of having it like drills to, to, to flip the switch on, like how to change or switch uh, learning modes. But I think teachers can can design their curriculum to be, to have multiple formats and, and, and run it all a bit here and there uh, within the school year. Like they may have um, physical classes with the students, they should also have digital content put up for the students to refer uh, and and refer to it from time to time so that students are still familiar on how to like access information without waiting for the teacher to like pass out printed notes in class uh, and things like that. So these are some examples of like how you can still have a little practice but still maintain some sense of normalcy in learning.
0: And on the government side, um, how can they perhaps be more proactive? Should schools be closed mm-hmm. earlier before the situation worsens, or um, is that not the right course of action?
3: I think the government can can take a proactive stand. Um, I'm not sure how proactive have they been, um, but by observing the current situation right now, uh, mm-hmm. case happened, and then there is an information, there's an, an announcement, an update. Uh, like what will happen, you know, if the haze worsens further. Uh, but within the protocols or within the systems of the government, they have some sort of they have this surat siaran where uh, should there be in in the event of a disaster, learning should still happen. So this is something that based on based on that surat siaran, the government could design uh, the the a procedure or a process. Uh, some sort of a protocol that schools should embed within themselves so it's automatic the moment you know case uh, at a certain API uh, is not safe for school they know what to do already without needing to wait for the state department or from the from the federal level to like say schools will need to shut down if the readings go up so these are things that could the, the government could like assist schools to embed it within their school administrative protocols
1: Daniel, I understand you're not a doctor, but could you walk us through some of what you understand of the health risks faced by students who are exposed to uh, the haze on a prolonged basis?
3: Yeah, so I am not a doctor, a teacher. And uh, what I know from my students is that uh, they, they would face, um, you know, like respiratory problems, uh, coughing, uh, they'll come like with runny nose, Uh, and you know I think for students who do already have like um, respiratory problems like asthma uh, they would be more affected by the haze and we got to like raise more awareness about how dangerous haze can be to the students sometimes they may not be quite aware uh, of like the 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 risk of exposing themselves to haze yeah so we will need to like Teach them about these symptoms and like, what to look out for, and it's mostly going to affect their breathing system.
0: Having said that, have you noticed um, emotional or psychological impacts, and how could teachers address this potentially?
3: At the moment, it's not out there yet. Um, students don't really like express their emotions, um, but if I were to do um, like a temperature check on the students or like how they are feeling. Uh, at the moment, from what I get, have gathered, they they don't seem to be too worried about the haze. Um, even, like, to some extent, some students might even be excited that school might close, you know. Yeah, so it's something that, that, you know, like I said, their memories of the pandemic, you know, is, like, long forgotten or, like, uh, not felt freshly. So, you know, this is this is, like... A response to how school has been for them uh, lately, recently, you know. So they may like to appreciate the short break. Uh, hopefully, uh, by the haze.
1: That's the question I was going to ask you, actually, <laughs> whether students were happy about uh, this uh, potential school closures. But nevertheless, uh, Daniel, what are your final thoughts for us on the question of the haze? I think um, it's going to be.
3: A recurring issue like what you mentioned, um, on the high level, these are like um, you know a transboundary problem, and it's not something that could be solved on the ground here, you know, uh, and we we have to expect that these things can happen, and we got to be ready for it. Um, so, whatever that we do on the ground level in schools, uh, by the ministry, by teachers, um, by students, uh, it has to be. It has to factor in how they can be adaptive to to this. Um, and, you know, teachers, for example, need to design their education experience for the students in such a way that counts this as a risk factor, uh, school closures. Um, so the learning content design has to be adapted um, on, on, on the physical level, infrastructure-wise, um, you know, Telecommunications is one of the areas where, you know, there's room for improvement to, to bring more connectivity. So then there can be virtual communication between student and teachers. Uh, even the school itself, physically in the school itself, um, even with the pandemic and also now with the haze, ventilation is, is, a, is a big thing in our public schools. You know, uh, open, it's quite outdoor, like the API readings, the guideline for it, assumes that the students are outdoors when they are in school. So there has to be an upgrade and a redesign of like the school architecture to, be, to allow for flexible uh, ventilation systems. You know, you can keep it closed, you can keep it open uh, for various reasons.
0: Daniel, thanks for joining us today.
3: All right, thank you.
0: That was Daniel Russell, co-founder and Academy Director from Aris Academy, weighing in on the haze and how it affects students in school. Give us a haze report. How are the conditions where you live? That number to call is 7773-2900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio.
2: Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9.
0: It is 5.39 and you're listening to The Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharad. And today we're asking everybody to be um, weather folk, weather people, because <laughs> the haze is not looking fantastic and we opened the show by talking about how it might affect schools. But more broadly, I think I just wanted to know and get a sense of how the haze is where you are, because where I live, and in fact where where I work, looking out the window right now, it's actually quite clear. Um, and so I'm thinking that it might be different from spot to spot. So let us know, um, give us a haze report. How are the conditions where you live? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. We have. Uh, some voice notes that have come in. Let's start with this one from TIDJ. I am not too sure if I can consider myself lucky uh, but I did not realise the
3: haze this morning when I left for work. However, as I was driving to work, uh, visibility was really poor on the highway uh, and I started feeling like uh, an itch in my throat when I arrived at work. So, and it's it's not just me, a few of my colleagues have also been complaining about it, so, I'm guessing the haze is really hitting all of us right now. Uh, on my way back right now, and I'm uh, hoping that my area is somewhat protected from haze. I mean, keeping my fingers crossed.
0: Tidj, thank you. Um, I think that Uh, we are all keeping our fingers crossed that it's not going to be that bad. I don't know whether this is a psychosomatic thing, but ever since we started doing the show, my eyes are burning. I'm in a studio. It's air-conditioned. There's really no cause for concern. And yet, I think just talking about the haze is making me feel kind of, you know, itchy. Okay,
1: you're, Hmm. you're open to suggestion. I don't know about me, though. I mean, I must say that, um, you know, over the many years of being exposed to the haze of these seasonal bouts of haze, uh, I think my chest has actually been impacted, I think, on the long term. And I think this might be true of a lot of us who are reasonably healthy and would uh, survive a single, you know, uh, season of the haze but you know after 20 years it might have some sort of long term impact but i don't know i don't know actually if there's been enough research done on this matter.
0: Ridza says uh, this morning the haze was quite bad in Bangi and Kajang the sun was clearly visible only around 9:40 a.m. my standard 6 son is not happy knowing his exams next week would probably be postponed due to the haze or else it would be a happy holiday for them.
1: Yeah you know it's and i think the children are probably the ones who are going to have to turn to their parents for an understanding of what's happening and i wonder how many parents have the ability to kind of explain this right as a phenomenon, as they might have when covid struck and try to explain why is it the world has suddenly changed in the way it operates because of something that is you know not their fault or the fault of their parents or even their immediate community
0: i don't know if this is just me feeling very post-apocalyptic, because I mentioned this yesterday. Also, by the way, I know that term is weird, All right, I know that there's (laughs) nothing post-apocalypse. You're looking at me, I know you want to say it, I'm aware. It's just what people say, Sherrod. But um, I think I've just been watching a lot of these films and um, thinking about adjustments in a more real sense. And I do wonder whether um, we are going to ever finally be making adjustments to the ways in which we live in order to deal with climate. Now, I'm not saying climate change, although I think that's a part of it. But another thing is things like the haze, right? If we know it's seasonal, if we know it's getting worse, um, if we know all these things, then are we going to make adjustments to um, our buildings, for example? Our guest earlier spoke about ventilation. That's a conversation that came up very early, uh, even during the pandemic, right? This question of central ventilation and what we're going to do in order to address that.
1: Yeah, there's also the whole question of, you know, the problem at source, Why do we have peat fires in Sumatra? What does palm oil, uh, you know... uh Fields due to uh, to forests. What is deforestation done? Uh, what what would you do with smallholders versus bigholders? Despite whatever kind of regulatory frameworks they are, where is government or local authority in this? On the Indonesian side, in the source countries, right? And so, if forests are burning in Sumatra, they're burning in Borneo, uh, then and they're burning at such scale. The question is if it was caused by human beings, why can't human beings find a solution to
0: the problem? Because they don't want to. <laughs> well I mean and then you know.
1: and, and there goes the, the, the larger question of finding some legislative framework to deal with this. Um to fine or to make, um, you know, uh, those companies uh, accountable and, you know, Singapore has such legislation a lot of Malaysian companies are involved in such activities in Sumatra. Why haven't they been taken to task if, at least in this instance, they are responsible?
0: Having said that a number of folks saying well, where I am, it's fine. Um, Morgan sent a really sunny photo saying, best visibility in Klang for ages. Johnny says, Sunway seems to be clear CK says PJ Taman Paramount so far so good yesterday there was haze today is much better uh, T says it's clear in the Banda Utama area um, in PJ I mean it's hot still but you know so this
1: might be a good day. Uh, it could be that maybe a combination of what's uh, you know, af- uh, pollution coming over from the Indonesian side uh, isn't combining with you know, local pollution. Because, again, if you're living in the Klang Valley, we have to deal with the fact that the, the geography of the, of the capital is such that it, in fact, does encourage the accumulation of pollutants in the air.
0: More people completely undermining the basis of our story um, by saying that things are very good. Well, what if it turns bad tomorrow? Then so- um, look, I, I mean, I'm joking. I'm, I'm happy for everybody for whom the skies are clear and the air is clean because um, the API readings do suggest that in some places, very close to some of these areas actually, it's not that great. But Arvin says, I'm around Santo It's a bit clear but cloudy. My throat's a bit itchy. BHL says, on my way from Cyberjaya to Puchong, it's very clear at the moment. So um, it looks as if, at least in spots around the Klang Valley, things are looking quite good. Yeah, the other
1: question, of course, like in the case of COVID, is not... It's not just what you see, right, with the naked eye. It might be the question of particulates in the air that, uh, you know, that contain substances that might be harmful to your respiratory system, um, and that you might not be able to see. So I'm, I'm looking actually for, you know, kind of scientific evidence or data to help drive conversations like we're having now about what actually is happening with the air quality, its sources,
0: and what we can do to protect ourselves. We have have a caller with us. We've got Marissa. Marissa, good evening. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, hi. <laughs> Keep on hearing like people, you know, complimenting the weather today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I'm I'm staying in Nilai and I work in the Jalan area. Nilai is bad. Like I, you know, walk out of the house, mm. it's like there's no mistake that you know it's his. And yeah, I'm actually feeling rather poorly since yesterday. Because um, there was like on Sunday there was a sports day at my daughter's school, so we were out for half a day. It's, it's really really bad. It's like the visibility is really poor. So Nilai is bad.
1: What but about can, <laughs> sorry? Can I ask you about Jalan Duta? That you say you commute between Nilai and Jalan Duta. Is the is the ju- yeah. Jalan Duta end of your journey equally bad?
2: Uh not as bad as Nilai, but yeah, that's it. I I'm, I'm actually. Going back to Nilai now, the the sky is not clear. I mean, there's like spots of sunlight somewhere, but in front of me, like I'm at the KL Central area, it's um I don't know whether it's mendung cloudy or it's the mendung haze. But I I don't I think people should mask up mask up guys. <laughs> oh, it's bad it's bad. Nilai is really bad. I think it's like the the one of the highest reading of API in yes, the country. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Marissa, Watching thank you. I'm looking for Nilay. Actually, people say, oh, but the weather is school in Clan Valley, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Only maybe in Clan Valley, right? Not in Nilay. And I guess Romban is the same as well, I guess. That
0: part. Yeah. Marissa, thank you so much for calling with a report from Neelai. Much appreciated, because it's true that we have been getting very optimistic <laughs> ideas from how things are. And uh, as Marissa mentioned, actually, it's true. Um, I mentioned earlier that Churas is the highest today. That's 164. Nila is following very closely. It's 163. Yeah,
1: so I wonder, what do you do with the fact that, you know, that the situation might change from day to day. You might have really bad days, then you have really good days, and then it goes back. Uh, you know, because we, I think maybe it's a human tendency when things improve, you kind of hope that it's going to stay that way. Um, and um, but my, what if it doesn't? And then how do you
0: deal with the fact that it changes from day to day? Well, actually, Shira, you, you mentioned earlier people, um, and I think you were referring there to. People in the sense of governments and countries, but also, you know, human beings, because Lua says every evening you see many households burning rubbish. Is any authority taking this seriously? And it is true that in some areas you do see people continuing to to conduct open burning and it doesn't seem like there's a there's a big regard for well, for the fact that we're living through a haze as well.
1: Yeah, the open burning thing is curious. I mean, I think in my neighborhood, I see very little of it. Though people do have lawns, and I imagine if they kind of rake up the the leaves or whatever, they they might might burn it. Uh, but it doesn't seem there, you know, to be true. The the question is, where is it happening, and has it got to do with the fact that there are all these older notions that somehow open burning and the smoke is good to chase away mosquitoes? I mean, there are all kinds of weird reasons that, or rather, there are. Co- reasons why people do open burning, have they been addressed in terms of the, you know, the things that drive that kind of behaviour so that, in fact, it does stop? I mean, apart from enforcement, you really need a change in mindset, don't you?
0: Uh, you do, and I think I mean we've talked about this at nauseum on the show, but this change in mindset is both led by carrot and stick, isn't it? I mean that that's traditionally been the thing that you have education and awareness, but hand in hand with that you also need enforcement. So to Lua's point about authorities, I, I don't I don't know whether uh, that's something that's being taken seriously enough. Couple of people coming in from Shalom, DK saying, On my way home from Shalom on the Federal Highway, sky's all right, pretty clear. And says, section twenty six, getting more specific clear. Morning to evening, uh, I could even see the moon this morning, but it kind of smells like something is burning, um, which I think is is exactly what we're talking about, right? That itchy throat, itchy nose feeling, the sense that there's something burning. I think, though, it's kind of a sad state of affairs when we've hit the point where we're like, ooh, I saw the moon! <laughs> you know? Because that, that gives you a sense of how, how cloudy it's been or how hazy it's been lately.
1: Yeah. So Many of our senses are being um, assaulted. Alerted, assaulted. <laughs> uh, we take the visual as uh, for the positives right so it's oh it's clear day but if the, that positive signal comes along with the sense of smell that something is in the air then you've got to ask yourself why right what is in the air that's starting to smell so strong so distinct that you can actually pick it out
0: Well, Hazman says, remember when it used to get orange in KL because of the haze? I told my daughter today about it. She thought I was joking. Um, I do remember when it did feel like we were living in in a very strange kind of orangey, hazy version of our city.
1: Yeah, and that's where the post-apocalyptic thing comes in. Because if you think of, you know, a Blade Runner or something, you know, that Mm. kind of like red haze that comes from pollutants. I think um, I remember, you know, in Srawa, in Kuching and some other cities there, they were ha- hitting, you know, readings of 600 or more. Uh, and it literally was like living, in you know, a kind of a open campfire and, you know, just smelling the smoke all the time. And, um, and I, I wonder about that, you know, whether there is something more than, you know, a hope that the rain will wash it away or, you know, um, Keep yourselves indoors, that is going to be part of the plan. Uh,
0: Legion says, since it's going to take ages to charge Malaysian companies operating overseas, can we do something locally to not worsen the haze, like banning smoking or encourage working from home, improving public transport? I can see my white clothes and bed sheets turning yellow because of the haze from Kuching. Uh, Legion also asks us to play uh, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. I don't think we have that, <laughs> it would have been appropriate.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if the, the, the smokers uh, contribute that much. And I, I mean, SA compared to um, cars. burning or even factories, right? Mm -hmm. How much uh, of the pollutants in our air come from industrial activity? Uh, I know we like to uh, often focus on individuals and their bad habits, uh, but there are in fact, you know, real sources and on on a scale that actually has an impact uh, for, say, the whole of the Klang Valley that might be more than just the sum total of uh, what smokers contribute.
0: Just to close off on a couple of voice notes, uh, we have, I mean, we started our show by Uh, talking about how it might affect schools and we do have a point to that that's come in from Sabrina
4: the only reason why my children want to go to school is to meet their friends not really to learn because even though the timetable on paper it looks like wow back to back there's BM there's English there's Sejarah there's Math realistically they only have two to three lessons per day because Half of the morning they stay in the day one listening to all these charamas and all the announcements by the guru bessa and all the discipline teacher. So that's half a day gone, quarter of a day gone. The other quarter is just uh, to fill in one or two lessons. So if the government decides to close the school, yeah, you know, yeah for the children, but uh, nay for the the parents, and uh, we need to find babysitters and the bus drivers will be very uh, laid back you know they don't have to rush through the traffic so there's a cascade of events that will follow if the government decides to close the school anyway it wasn't too long uh, when the climate was very hot remember in uh, may april until june so they had no outdoor activities so everything had to be done indoors and uh, online learning well they have tuition online so it wouldn't be too difficult for them to switch uh, from face to face to online learning. My only concern is if they keep on shutting down and uh, giving children time off from school uh, what will happen to their continuity of education in the
0: end they will lose out. Sabrina, thank you for that. Um, I, I think, I mean, these are the concerns, right, that we were talking about earlier with schools and education.
1: Yeah, uh, Sabrina, you very deftly put together uh, a separate concern, which is that the quality of education at our schools, uh, together with the question of you know school closures. But uh, I imagine for any parent, and especially parents who rely on schools to uh, as kind of surrogate parents because they have to go to work, what do you do when your kids can't go to school uh, and you don't have the capacity to deal with your kids?
0: You can call us, you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp, and as always, you can also tweet us at BF radio keep it here bfm
2: 89.9 thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great
1: interviews go to bfm.my bfm 89.9 the business station.